1 Timothy 4.1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe in other truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with gratitude, for it's sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you've been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it's for this we labor and strive, because we've fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Let's pray. <sighs> Father, as we begin the day, certainly thoughts and worries and to-do lists are grabbing at our ankles, clanging around in our mind. But Father, help us to first things first, throw anchor in you. Fasten ourselves to God and to preach to ourselves the greatness and the sovereignty of God at the beginning of the day. That you are God and we are not. That you're in control and we are not. That you've decreed all things, being sovereign. And Christ is the Savior and we are not. And so, Father, let us, as Paul told Timothy long ago, be nourished on sound words of the faith, to be disciplined in godliness as we throw anchor in you. Thank you for, thank you for Christ's finished work on the cross, by which alone and by whom alone, not our works, we are in right standing with you. Thank you for this food. Would you nourish us with it and nourish us with words of the faith? Help us be changed and better men because of our study this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so there should be notes floating around. Um, if anyone does, I think we need to set up here. Cole needs a set. We only got a couple of Okay, great. Yep. All right, Jen. So we're uh, endeavoring to... And in light of the uh, attack on culture, that of course is nothing new, but on, on gender and on the word of God and on men and women and roles and the God-glorifying fixed realities of masculinity and femininity. Again, we observed at the outset that the most controversial statement that will be said in the study is that there are males and there are females. And that's fixed. It's chosen by God, not sinners. And so from that, we're looking at what does God have to say about masculinity? Well, we observed that in Genesis 1 and 2, that masculinity, males and females, were created in the image of God prior to the curse. 
So all that comes with maleness and femaleness is glorifying to God. It's not broken. It's not wrong. Notwithstanding the uh, APA, the American Psychological Association, putting out some goofy document uh, recently that shows, you know, cautions on maleness. What's wrong with maleness? Uh, the Word of God says that femininity and masculinity are glorifying to God. So we utterly repudiate any attack on those things. Um, we, uh, we observe that we, we began the study in Genesis 1 to 3, observing that God has given different roles for men and women and that glorifies him. Um, and there's no, one is not more valuable than the other. We repudiate any uh, ignorant cultural accusation along those lines. Both are made in the image of God. Both require the finished work of Jesus Christ for salvation. So it has nothing to do with value, but roles for the glory of God. So this is attack on God. So we're seeking to throw anchor and clarify some things. As we went from Genesis 1 to 3, we went into masculinity and the fear of God, masculinity and the cross of Jesus Christ, uh, how masculinity is attacked. And now we're finishing uh, this little two-part glance at at some of the more specific issues, masculinity and embracing discomfort. Masculinity and the embracing of discomfort. Uh, this is nothing new for you men. As you enter into a Genesis 3 world, this is how it goes. Um, however, there is a, as it pertains to our roles, um, as we looked at in, in the garden, we're to nourish, we're to keep, we're to cultivate, we're to protect. Uh, protect the village, protect the society, doctrinally, physically, to nourish it, doctrinally, spiritually, physically, to keep it doctrinally, spiritually, physically. There is what will be involved, what we're called to in our various spheres and stations of life, an embracing of discomfort. And uh, we'll clarify, we did, I'll, I'll, we'll review some of the things we covered briefly. Um, for the fun of it, each week we're looking at a different cultural rite of passage into masculinity historically. And we're not doing this because all of these rites of passage are necessarily righteous, but to be amused or entertained, I suppose, in observing that it doesn't take a biologist or a scientist to understand that there are males and there are females and all cultures it's funny, all, all these ancient cultures who didn't have the, the privilege, we say that tongue-in-cheek, of being enlightened by 21st century Western culture, nevertheless, they understood that there are males and females and each play a particular and a separate and a God-glorifying role, generally speaking. Uh, we looked at rites from Kenya, the South Pacific, the Spartans, uh, last week was my favorite from the Mongols and the Kazakhs. Uh, and today we look at the rite of passage into manhood, which, which comes to us from the Assyrian Empire. Assyrian Empire. This isn't in your notes. We'll get to the notes. So the, the Assyrians, uh, if you've, you know, you've studied a little bit of uh, history. Whoa. What do we got here? It sounds like Siri. Oh, Siri. Got it. <laughs> Don't listen to him. Siri's nosy. Mind your own business. You should be a listener, not a talker. 
He who restrains his lips is wise, Siri. <laughs> Even a fool when he keeps silent is considered wise. Uh, the Assyrian culture. Now, this is a culture, as, as you've studied uh, history, secular and biblical history, uh, this is what's behind, for example, the book of Jonah. While Why Jonah is like, nah, I'm not going there. I'm going, I'm going to get, a, I'm going to take a cruise to Tarshish instead. Right? Jonah didn't do that just because he felt like going on a cruise to Portugal, which was the vicinity of Tarshish. It was a, that was the, by the way, to the Israelite in 8th century BC, that's the end of the world. For all practical purposes, that's like the end of the world. We, what, what's beyond Tarshish, I know not. Okay? Um, so Jonah says, nah, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to go to Assyria and preach the gospel. Because I know you are a God who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, and you'll forgive these sinners. I know what you're up to, God. So one way ticket to Tarshish, please. And the reason that Jonah said that wasn't just because he was a rascal and needed the grace of God himself, was because the Assyrians had the most competent and ruthless military in the known world at the time. Um, they didn't have modern technology, but they had this particular form of, <clears throat> of training. And for a military to be elite, uh, you don't just get there right? We have to be trained. And so what the Assyrians would do, uh, and this was pretty much compulsive, not voluntary. They would, when, when a young boy turned five years old, uh, he said uh, au, revoir, au revoir to mom and so long. He said so long to mom and playing with his sticks and his rocks and his toys and his ball, whatever, whatever they played with. And, you know, 8th century, 9th century, 7th century BC, Nineveh and the surrounding regions. And he disappeared. And he would be taken from then on, from five years old, for the next 15 years, and be enrolled in the Assyrian Military Academy. Not at 18, not at 17, at five. And he would graduate, plus or minus, when he was 20. And so what they would do, you know, when they're five, they're training them up. Uh, and th th this wasn't just physical, by the way. They, they, they engineered and architected their mindset um, as good uh, mass, mass formation does. And, uh, and so they would, they would train them. Uh, they would dedicate them to the art of fighting, which goes without saying, because if you're going to be the best military, this, requ this requires fighting. And there are different branches of fighting that the Assyrian young boys would endeavor into. And they would have levels and they would have certain branches and you'd finish level one then go to level two and then you'd seven to eight, nine, 12, 14, 15 until you're 20 years old. And by the time, by the time an Assyrian young man graduated from the Assyrian military academy at 20 years old, all he knew was fighting. And so they would have different branches of fighting with a bow, a bow and arrow. Uh, fighting with uh, the sword, fighting with hand-to-hand -hand combat, uh, fighting with spears and javelin, uh, all kinds, kinds of things. And then the other thing they would do uh, was train them in, uh, in equestrian and not just how to 
you know, do a two-point stance and English trotting. I had to fight from a, from a horse and conquer from a horse. They all had to learn how to do this. Um, and when an Assyrian when, when an Assyrian man would go through this, again, I mentioned they would, this wasn't just a, a physical and a military academy. It was also a mental academy. It's interesting. Uh, history tells us that the Assyrian young men would also be trained in the art of telling the truth. We don't know all that went into that. Um, we don't have all of the records. But uh, Herodotus records for us that they would be drilled in the importance of speaking truth. And that's interesting that this society, that they, when they, they, would, they would fillet their victims, uh, they'd put their heads on the stakes of the, you know, the, the gate out front of the city and do all kinds of uh, sort of iconic expressions to make a statement. They also trained them. They had enough light to train them in. You, you need to be a truth teller. You need to be a truth teller. So when a man graduated at 20 years old from the Assyrian Military Academy, from that he would receive all the benefits and the responsibilities, the rights and privileges that came with masculinity. After that, he would get a wife, not before that. He would not get a wife before that. Once he finished that, then he would get the prize, a wife, and be considered a man in Assyrian society. All right. Embracing discomfort. So we are on number five. And what page is that, gentlemen? Page eight. The flesh and the need to embrace a measure of discomfort. Um, we left off here. Um, brief review. Um, we have observed that every guy enters life and continues in life, will continue in life, uh, we're not yet perfected. None of us would claim to be without sin, uh, perfectly like Jesus. And so therefore, it, it stands to reason that we all have areas in life with which we're uncomfortable. Uh, I don't care if you're a, a Fortune 50 CEO, uh, you're a, a, a Super Bowl, you got multiple rings, uh, Super Bowl rings on your finger. Uh, you're 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 a master military commander. You have areas of life with which you're uncomfortable. They might be physical. They might be spiritual. They might be relational. They might be marital. They might be parental. They might be social. Um, for some, it's uh, some suffering that's befallen you. For others, it's maybe as simple as speaking in front of a crowd. Uh, for still others, maybe it's embracing spiritual correction, uh, having someone speak into your life spiritually. Maybe it's being uh, transparently involved as a church member. Maybe it's learning to cultivate honest, transparent, biblical relationships. Um, that's a big one for guys. Uh, sometimes we can... Uh, keep guys at a distance and I'm only going to let people get this close to me and I'm not going to let anyone speak into my life. That's a common one with dudes. Um, dealing with personal sin, whatever it might be, getting out of your comfort zone as far as a job. You guys could name more. Okay. Um, now we observe that there's a distinction 
between embracing discomfort from a secular worldview and doing so from a biblical worldview. We're not doing this to merit righteousness, to earn standing with God, and to ladder ourselves into the kingdom of heaven. As we've been studying in Romans since chapter 3, verse 21, that's by justification through faith alone and Christ alone. Um, <clears throat> we're doing so, we observed a couple of points. The reason we do grin and bear it, and it's not grin and bear it, we do so thankfully, but the reason we embrace comfort is for the glory of God in light of the grace of God, number one. We do this because of the grace of God, because Christ embraced, uh, we could say, uh, quite a bit of discomfort for our sins and for our salvation, and we do so in light of the grace of God. Second, we do, we do so as a means of faithfulness. There will be areas of our lives, hey, I, I just need to go talk to this person. I see they're in sin, Galatians 6.1, Matthew 18.15, Proverbs 27.5, Hebrews 3.12-14. I see that I need to go talk to this guy. So I embrace that discomfort as a means to be faithful, because I seek to be faithful. The goal is to be faithful. 1 Corinthians 4, we saw Paul said it's required of stewards that he be faithful. So we do so as a means to be faithful. Third, we do so to be fruitful, to be fruitful in our lives, learning to embrace a spiritual task, physical task. Uh, because as men, we want to have a, 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 a wake of positive influence. We want to do something for the Lord of good in our lives. I, I want to have impact, a guy or two. Uh, uh, some relationship I'm in. I, I want to I do that in a way that's honoring to God so as to leave impact. That will require embracing of discomfort. Also, just for personal godliness. Personal godliness will require embracing discomfort. There are things that I like, I don't want to let go of, big changes I might need to make in my life, relationally, spiritually, or small changes. This will require discomfort. Okay? And then fifth, to cultivate, one of the benefits is a, a trusting dependence upon the Lord. This is still review here. A trusting dependence upon the Lord. Embracing discomfort is good because it cultivates a trusting dependence on the Lord. Uh, when I have to get out of my comfort zone, I can't trust in myself. I'm not trusting in things I'm used to, things I'm good at, things that are easy. I got to trust in the Lord for this, to make this change in my life, to speak to this person, uh, to repent of this sin, to grow in shepherding and leading my home, whatever it might be, to, to letting other brothers in my life transparently and speak into my life. I got to trust God for that because I, I don't really like that. I'm not used to that. Which sixth then propagates the king of all virtues, humility. Humility, as the Puritans said, that humility, it's, it's the crowning virtue of the creature. It's the greatest and most important virtue and characteristic a human is to cultivate. Humility. And so getting out of uh, our comfort zone cultivates humility, embracing discomfort. What's the connection there, <clears throat> gentlemen? Embracing discomfort. Thank you, Will. Bring the whole bucket of coffee over here. I appreciate that. Don't be shy, gentlemen. What, what's the connection with embracing discomfort, cultivating humility? 
doing something that's not easy for me, whether spiritually, physically, socially, relationally, maritally. What's the connection there? How does that culminate? Yeah. It, 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 I'm in a position of weakness, right? And a lot of us as men, we don't like to be there. Uh, and the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest Christians ever, he said, I, I rejoice. I, I'll, I'll rather boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ can be shown through me. Right? Let's open the, let's shut the door on me, empty me of me and get Christ in here. Right? That cultivates humility. So let us not, gentlemen, if you struggle like I do at times, let us not close the door on having to embrace discomfort in these various areas where we need to make changes. We don't like to feel weak. We don't like to be swimming in weakness. But that's an opportunity to grow strong in Christ. And, and keep in mind that as you do all of this, you know, trusting the Lord, depending on Him, that's synonymous with, with cultivating faith. You know, I want to grow, sometimes, sometimes we say, I want to grow stronger in my faith. Learning to embrace discomfort, whether it's a simple conversation with my wife or making a big change, small change, whatever, that you're strengthening the muscles of faith. You're having to exercise trust, dependence. And so let us not reject those moments. We all, I would say, want to grow stronger in faith, trusting God over ourselves. Those are the key moments to do so. Faith is a muscle that has to be exercised. You don't exercise it. You don't say, I'm willing to be weak, transparent, dependent, humble. You're not. That, that muscle will atrophy. I promise you. We reject these things where God says, hey, you need to make a change here. Son, you need, you need to turn a corner in this area. When God, in effect, says that. CF, Hebrews 12, 5 to 11. If we stiff arm that, then, I mean, we, we, stay, a, we stay a spiritual infant. And, and our spiritual muscles atrophy. But let us, by the grace of God alone, choose the, an alternative to that. Amen? All right. So, um, we looked at, uh, historically, biblically speaking, how every guy that did something from the Lord, for the Lord, embraced discomfort. Everybody. From Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Paul, etc. They just lived in discomfort. They were either entering a situation that required embracing discomfort, were in one, or, or were coming out of one. Some combination. All right, okay, so uh, number five, page eight-ish. The presence of our sin nature suggests the need to embrace discomfort. And there's sort of little syllogisms we put under, under these. The very fact that we... Have a sin nature means, guess what? We're going to have to embrace discomfort. As we've noticed, uh, we saw in Romans 5, 12 and on, we're born in Adam. The world is cursed. So our very nature, the flesh, seeks and favors sin, even as a regenerate person. What feels right is often that which originates from fallen nature. Therefore, I'm going to have to go against impulses, thoughts, feelings. And that very unhelpful phrase, I have a piece about it. That phrase which is used to justify no small amount of sin. B, sin tends to resist joyful, tenderhearted subjection to God. The sin nature, which we all understand, continues to reside even in the regenerate person, 
it, it wants to exalt itself. Your flesh is a monster, and mine is. The remaining flesh is uh, a hydranic monster, an iniquitous being. It wants to exalt itself. That's the problem with you and me, is self-exaltation, the lust therefore. So our impulse is going to be to be our own God, and the heart is deceitful, meaning sin wants to trick you. Your flesh wants to hide the fact that it's working and seeking to exalt itself. So we will have to be extra diligent to embrace counter impulses in order to live out a proper creator-creature distinction and the observance thereof. In fact, to put saving faith in Christ itself requires embracing discomfort. Jesus says, this isn't just the entrance of faith, but the continuing thereof, not to secure it, it's secured in Christ, but as we walk obediently, Luke 9, 23. As the crowds were growing, Luke's, Luke writes, he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I mean, self-denial, taking up your cross, those are fundamentally statements of embracing discomfort, right? That's not just entering the faith, but continuing to walk after Christ. And we understand that taking up the cross meant what? Owen, what did taking up your cross mean when they heard that in the first century? Die to yourself. Die to yourself. That's exactly what it meant. Okay? So letter C, sin tends also to resist beliefs and practice that don't promote the glory of self. That's a fundamental working of sin, glory of self. The sinfulness of sin is pride. Its opposite is humility. Therefore, to put off pride and grow in humility may involve embracing discomfort. Letter D, sin involves, excuse me, sin tend, tends toward laziness and the path of least resistance. So we'll have to embrace discomfort. All right? Number six, embracing discomfort and the strength needed for this Genesis 3 world. So, again, as we studied in Romans 5, 12 and on, Adam rebelled when he did. The entire DNA of the creation, including spiritually in us, is broken, breaks, and mutates, and physically. Uh, Genesis 3, God says to Adam, because you listened to your wife, this doesn't mean don't ever listen to your wife, right? You went along with the rebellion. And have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. And toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow. You'll eat the plants. By the sweat of your face you'll eat bread till you return to the dirt. Because from dirt you're, you were taken and to the dirt you will return. There's some heavy statements there. So the whole creation is going against us. This abrupt mutation in the Earth's DNA and in our DNA, physically and spiritually, there's a reversal. Uh, before the creation gushed in our favor, everything went in our favor. Now it's the photo negative where it's against you. To get food, to, to work, to grow in godliness, it's against you. Even your very own nature, your flesh, everything is against you. And you get this wrong, you're going to be wrong about everything, right? You get Romans 5 and Genesis 3 wrong, you're going to be 
you're going to be confused and wrong about just about everything in life. Why, why things are going the way they are and what you need to do about it. So since the creation resists man physically and spiritually, we and the ladies, we'll talk about this when we talk about masculinity and marriage, we and the ladies are born with a rebellious nature, um, unloving, that is self-exalting, others disparaging, and so embracing comfort will be necessary. So letter A then, um, just kind of going down some observations, you could add to this, but learning to embrace discomfort, discomfort early on prepares us to function in this cursed world. And this is important in parenting as well. Um, I try to tell my kids at times that, you know, not to be harsh, but just to be real, that much of life is settling in to doing things I don't want to do or don't feel like doing or that are uncomfortable. That, that's like 95% of life. Receiving instruction, coming under authority, doing hard stuff, getting up to an alarm, you know, forcing yourself to do things when you're sick or don't feel well or hurt or injured or whatever, or that are hard. T to, to face disappointment and not just fall over and, and, and escape and go fall into sin and throw some tantrum. You can't do that. The creation's not going to be forgiving to you, neither with the flesh. You got to stay in the game and play four quarters of football. And when you get roughed up by the other team, you got to get back out there and just keep going. And when you get blood on your jersey, you got to just keep moving forward. And when people knock you over, you got to keep moving forward. This is the kind of world we live in. It's not going to be handed to you. Certainly there are great blessings and things that God does often where he defies the curse and praise God for that where we get blessings we don't deserve. But nevertheless, life is going to be peppered with the Genesis 3 world. If you can do that by God's grace and just stay in the game, um, you're going to do about as good as someone can do in a broken and a sinful world. As we encourage other men and in this and tell our kids in this sin-infested world, I think, it'd be, I think it safely can be said that one of the great problems we're facing right now in Western culture, and especially in, quote-unquote, Western academia, the universities, which are dangerous places right now, um, one of the great, great phenomena <clears throat> is that young people are being taught that discomfort is a bad thing. Uh, ideological discomfort, doctrinal discomfort, emotional discomfort, that it's a bad thing. That going against your feelings is wrong. Uh, this is what's largely opened the door to transgenderism and all kinds of other things. It's not just that. Um, it, it's, oh, you, you don't feel like doing this or doing that or embracing this idea? You don't feel like being subject to a transcendent being that's greater than you? Cool, you don't have to believe in him. <laughs> since when? <laughs> Where, since when is that idea acceptable? Oh, you don't feel like subjecting yourself to a God that you're not? I mean, what, what, when did that idea become acceptable in academia and some sort of acceptable dogmatic expression in the human race? That's catastrophic. Even if you're not a believer, 
even unbelievers in, in back in the day were, were taught that. And you had to learn that at school. Now, you're, you're not God. You don't get to choose this and that and that and this. There's a God and you're not him, even if you're not saved and you're deciding not to be saved. So, so many examples we could think of. One, for example, let's say a young boy. A young boy is uncomfortable interacting with other people besides his parents. And when other people speak to him, he does things like turn away. He hides. He ignores people. And his parents excuse it. And they say, well, Junior's shy. Junior's shy. No, Junior ain't shy. Junior's a monster is what he is. So Junior isn't lovingly shepherded. So here's, here's where Junior faces discomfort, having to appropriately interact with other people. Right? Learning to do that. And you don't yell and, and, and get angry and behave inappropriately when you face social situations you don't like. And so Junior needs to be shepherded to deny his shyness and learn how to interact appropriately with new people in a way that is righteous and shows love and shows interest in people. And this might seem inconsequential when Junior's five and when Junior is six or four. But a failure to shepherd Junior in that will backfire. Junior will, it'll propagate Junior's self-centeredness. It'll propagate Junior's insatiable lust to be his own God, to do what he wants. Uh, Junior will become also an emotional cripple. And this is what's happening today. This generation that are in the universities and below and even above, they're, they're, they're becoming emotional social cripples. They can't handle ideas that, are, that go against what they, what they want. And so they explode. And, well, then free, free speech should be shut down. They can't handle these things. You, you should just go out of existence if you say something I don't like. And eventually, for example, Junior, he'll seek refuge in a make-believe world of video games, pornography, something else, this little group of, 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 of just social cripple friends uh, that will utterly refuse any ideas outside of their own. And so education becomes engineered. Uh, gender studies becomes a new major at these quote-unquote universities. Uh, and academia is re-architected to cater to Junior's emotional and social crippledness. And the whole society be becomes like this. Okay? Because Junior hasn't been properly shepherded from a young age to embrace discomfort. Um, and the problems continue and snowball. And, and so failing to shepherd the next generation to embrace discomfort is absolutely catastrophic. Kill these people. Get them out of here. We can't have this. To the point where he will not get out into this difficult Genesis 3 world and do many things that forever were like part of academia. Namely, for example, learn to interact with ideas we're uncomfortable with. Learn to interact with historical realities I'm uncomfortable with. No, sorry, the way that you're learning how things are, that they, didn't, they weren't like that historically. You're being lied to historically. 
you don't know what happened in history. It wasn't like that. Learning to work a job in which you're uncomfortable with, learning to interact with people you're uncomfortable with, learning to embrace proper sexual behavior with which you may be uncomfortable. What, what, what you used to do in your video game doesn't translate to reality. Sorry. <laughs> you're not great. You're going to get rejected. And you need to deal with that. You're not as great as you think you are. Learning to give of yourself and serve in a way that you're uncomfortable with. Learning to contribute in a way you're uncomfortable with. So again, the culture, they, 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 this, this emotional and social infantile state gets propagated because of the Genesis 3 thrusting inside and outside of us when we don't learn to embrace discomfort at a young age. And so when the culture and when we when are faced with ideas about uh, ourselves, we're not that great, the world, it's not going to spoon feed things to you, the transcendent, there's something out there far, far, far greater and powerful than you, what happens? Well, we break, we can't handle it. We reconstruct society, history, and academia. And we, we make up new religions. We, we make up new ideologies like critical race theory. And, and other of these abominable theories. We construct these things to fit our infantile, cripple spiritual state. We weren't shepherded to face things we're uncomfortable with. And so this isn't about, you know, this isn't about making people just jaded, oh, just embrace all kinds of discomfort, become some like cold military drill instructor that hates everybody. It's not about that. Becoming jaded is not the answer. Becoming godly is and humble and to fear God. Fearing God is the root of all this, right? We looked at that about a month ago. Um, just, you know, teaching junior to become jaded is not the answer. You know, when we're older, a jaded demeanor is and can be, and, then, and we have to be careful because even as Christians, we can respond in a jaded way to the culture around us as they've responded incorrectly to a Genesis 3 world, as they're recreating narratives and history and academia and God and, and spirituality. And we can become jaded to just how evil things are. That's not the answer. Uh, becoming jaded in part is the result of having various affliction and discomfort befall us around us, for example, and instead of responding humbly and tenderly, maturely, coming under the yoke of God's sovereignty, of God's grace, and being tenderized by the, by the mercies of God, being softened by His grace, and growing more long-suffering, growing in prayer, growing in trusting God, growing in having a proper eschatology and an eternal mindset, uh, the jaded, pers jaded person says, I'm done with this, I'm done with this type of discomfort, whether it be people or ways or and I'm just going to eject from society. I'm going to run from it. And write, write them off or write this person off. Write a person or a whole swath. And that's not the answer, really. We've we got to stay in the game. We've got to pray. We've we got to evangelize. The church has to shine still and understand how to properly go against the Genesis 3 push inside and outside of us until Christ returns. And Jesus is laughing, Psalm 2, 4. He, he's laughing in a disdainful way, uh, laughter of mockery. You know, but we as the church got to stay in the game. 
under his sovereignty, become a part of a church, embrace sound doctrine, believe scripture, band together as men, fight our own sin, fight the Genesis 3 in us, never forgetting as we see the, the horrific Genesis 3 uh, thorns and thistles growing and becoming way overgrown outside of us, we've got to remember that there's some inside of us too and stay in the game and let our light shine and be a city on a hill. This is essential for masculinity and continuing to exemplify God's plan for men. Because if you lose the men, you lose the village. And if you lose the village, you know, see ya. So the men have to stay engaged, not become jaded. Keep the main thing the main thing. Okay? We have to remember as we're tempted, I'm tempted to be jaded. I've been redeemed by a blessed Savior. Were it not for the grace of God, I'd be out to sea with all this goofy stuff as well. Sinful stuff. God is daily patient with me. God is long-suffering with me. And keep that eternal perspective that, that Christ is coming back. He's going to fix it all. Everything's going to be fine. Better than fine. Okay? But by God's grace, we mustn't allow ourselves to go the direction in response to, go that direction in response to the world. So embracing discomfort helps us in our own lives properly go against the Genesis 3 world and be an example. Why does that guy manage to keep it together? Why does that guy have joy? Uh, why do the people in that guy's spheres of influence? Why, why do they keep it together in a Genesis 3 world? We want to be a witness. Um, by the way, failure to learn to embrace discomfort, you're letting in and allowing to propagate anxiety, unnecessary depression, phobias, these kind of things that are growing more prominent. It's interesting, we've never been more prosperous and we've never been more phobic and anxious and depressed in these days. Why is that? But partly because of not learning to embrace discomfort in a God-glorifying way. And so we're anxious about everything. We're depressed about everything. We have unrealistic expectations about the world. And we, we you know, ideas, social realities, transcendent ideas hit us that, oh my goodness, and, and we come unraveled like a cheap sweater. And so part of this is not learning to embrace discomfort in a God-glorifying way, okay? Um, I want to finish this study today. We've got to keep moving. Number seven, um, embracing discomfort in various books of the Bible. Um, various books of the Bible. I mean, the book of Proverbs, right? Uh, what is the book of Proverbs about fundamentally? Well, the fear of God. Um, but what are much of the practical things about in the book of Proverbs? Yeah, reproof and discipline, which is fundamentally doing what? Being uncomfortable. Being uncomfortable. You know, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. Get up, you sluggard. You know, behold, I walked by the, the field of, of a, a sluggard, a guy who didn't want to embrace his comfort. The wall was broken down, the thistles were growing over, and then I stopped and received instruction. Paraphrasing, you know, the Eric Standard Version, this guy who hated embracing discomfort uh, reaped what he sowed, right? 
Um, Proverbs 15, 19, the way of the lazy is, uh, is a hedge of thorns. That means his path. The path he should be walking on. The, the Proverbs are both obviously physical and spiritual. Just about every single proverb that is like a physical thing about a wall or a vineyard or a, or a thorn bush, it means spiritually also. The way he should be walking in life, spiritually, maritally, relationally, it's grown over with thistles. What does that mean? What does that tell us? Sam, what do you think? That it's grown over with thistles. The way he should be walking spiritually and physically. Yeah. Yeah. He's not going. Remember, the walk of a believer, the, the life of a believer is often metaphorically portrayed as a walk. I'm, I'm wearing a path. You know? How did trails get started? People walked on, on them a lot. I'm wearing a path in the direction I should go. I'm not wearing a path in the direction I should not go. Proverbs 15.31, speaking of reproof, he whose ear listens to the life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Man, if there's like one verse practically, like apart from cross and gospel verses, I could tell a newer Christian or a guy who's new to sound doctrine that there's one verse I would give him, it would be this one right here. Besides like, you know, Jesus died for your sins. It'd be this verse right here. You learn to do Proverbs 15.31, you're going to bear fruit in like 60 other areas of life. He whose ear listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise, but he who neglects discipline despises himself. Wow. But he who listens to reproof requires understanding. Every man needs to know that verse and embrace it. Proverbs 24.30, I passed by the field of the slugger and the vineyard of the man lacking sense. And behold, it was completely overgrown with thistles. Its surface was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down when I saw reflected upon it, and I looked and I received instruction. 29.1, a man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. Whew. I read that. I know guys like that. I've seen that happen in the lives of men who profess Christ. Reproof came to them, and it came to them, and it came to them. I'm not talking about ridiculous accusations from people outside of the church who are unregenerate and just evil, looking to cause a scandal. Men who know them, and that final point came. And it's just terrifying to see that in someone's life. Utterly terrifying. Embrace discomfort. So the Proverbs don't only commend a willingness to face physical discomfort, but, you know, not just get dirty, get cold. They certainly do, but spiritual all the more. And so most of us guys are okay with the discomfort of, all right, put some gear on, put your skis on your back and go climb up that snowy mountain. I mean, all right, most of us guys, I, that's, I, can, I can do that. I'll face that discomfort. Go hike miles uphill in the snow, you know. But some of us guys are not okay with the discomfort of become a church member. Let guys get to know you. Confess your sins. Meet regularly with a guy or two. Ask them about their humility. Ask them about their marriage. Ask them about sexual purity. Ask them about their thought life. 
Ask them about their Bible reading and how you can pray for them or be asked to those things. A lot of guys, you know, they can bench 350, but they can't do that. They don't want to be asked about their marriage or their thought life. Or ask someone who will tell you the truth how you need to grow in biblical maturity. Man, would to God that more men would do this who profess Christ. So many don't. Brothers, when was the last time we went to someone and just asked, how do you guys think I can grow? Ask some guys that know me well. How do you think I can grow? When was the last time we did that? That's true embracing discomfort. I would wish to God that more men would do that. And I need to do it too. For the Proverbs, that's the most important type of discomfort to embrace. And just to bring in, well, it's only Proverbs. There's other ideas. First Timothy 4, we read it. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. That's discipline. Tell me, tell me like one thing, something I need to grow in in my life. When was the last time you did that? You went to a godly guy and did that. When was the last time I did that? Many of us guys are comfortable facing discomforts we're comfortable with. Right? We get that? We're comfortable facing discomforts we're uncomfortable with. You know, during bow season, Derek takes me on these ridiculous hikes. I'm comfortable with that discomfort. You know, just sweating and just going uphill. But sometimes we're not comfortable with facing discomforts we're uncomfortable with. And I think probably those are the areas that we need to address. Eric, I think it'd be like, we're okay with those things because we have, we're short-sighted. Yeah, that's good. minded we can tangibly see like climbing a mountain or whatever. There's like, okay, the top has this. Right, that's good. Uh, which drives us through and we're not comfortable with the spirituality of things. Uh, scripture calls to us, we're not looking for the heavenly reward. Yeah, uh, that's such a great point. What's the reward, right? Yeah, uh, that's such a great point. You know, short-term thing when we do, you know, we work out or climb a mountain or whatever. I'm thinking, I, I got a reward inside. I want to get this or do that or accomplish this. And that's such a great point. Discipline ourselves for godliness. Uh, it makes me think of a verse I was thinking about this morning, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. And that's one I would commit to memory. Maybe we'll do that for this next week. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction, discomfort, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things that are seen, but unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Having that eternal perspective, the reward. Yeah, very good. Thank you, Derek. Let's memorize that for next week. That's a good one. And do this, you know, with, I don't know, friend, roommate, wife, kids. Dad's doing it. We're all going to do it, you know. <laughs>
if dad's foot hurts, everybody's going to hurt, you know? <laughs> Not like that, <laughs> in a godly way. <laughs> Ecclesiastes as well. Wow, what a book that is all about embracing. Interesting, gentlemen, that we look at the wisdom literature. Wisdom literature, right, is largely about embracing discomfort. If you were here when we studied through Ecclesiastes, and when we studied that verse by verse a couple years ago, by the way, it was interesting, the day we finished Ecclesiastes was like the day that uh, the, the COVID experiment got announced in the United States. I think that's funny. Um, and it was an experiment, by the way. Um, vanity of vanities, that's the thesis of the book. Vapor is what vanity means. Vapor of vapor, that life is vaporous, meaning two things at least. It's brief, vapor's there, it's gone, but it's elusive. You can't like grab it and control it. There are many things in life. In other words, Solomon says you can't control the outcome. Often you'll do the right thing and the wrong thing will, the, thing, the, the outcome you don't want will happen, right? Ecclesiastes 7.13, consider the work of God for who's able to straighten what he's bent. In the day of prosperity, be happy, but in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. I mean, talk about a verse that shepherds us to embrace discomfort. Oof, God made both. I, I was uh, counseling some individuals not long ago who they didn't, they, they'd sat in a pew for 20, 20 years and didn't know what the sovereignty of God meant. And I brought them to this verse and they said, my God's not like that. And I said, well, then you don't worship God. In other words, who is sovereign over adversity as well. And that's uncomfortable, isn't it? God was sovereign over this hard thing. Ugh. Ecclesiastes 8.14, there's a futility which is done on the earth. That is, there are righteous men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. That's uncomfortable. On the other hand, there are evil men to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I'd say this too is vapor is the word. Ecclesiastes 9.11, I saw again under the sun that the race is not to the swift, the battle is not to the warriors, neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth for the discerning, nor favor to men of ability. For time, and the Hebrew word says happenings, time and happenings, doesn't mean chance, like, oh, just, okay, sarah, sarah. It means happenings, just things happen. Overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time like a fish caught in a treacherous net. Birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when suddenly it befalls them. God is sovereign. We're not. The world is broke. And the solution, of course, to that, as Solomon proposed in his Ecclesiastes, is not, well, just case sarah, sarah, whatever. Eat, drink, be merry, get drunk, and die. That's not the solution. The solution is how Solomon ends the book. When all has been heard, fear God, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, and keep his commandments, for this applies to every man. So God, God will bring every act to judgment. Okay. Um, let me just save 10 seconds. Embracing comfort and, and relationships for people sin against you, relationships that are challenging. Being in and staying in any kind of relationship, including even in the church, will require embracing discomfort. People do things that are like, oh, I, ugh, 
I don't, I'm not comfortable with that. They say things to you. Oh, I'm not comfortable with that. They sin. You see something about a person. Oh, guess what? That person's a sinner too. That person that I esteemed. Wow. They're not Jesus either. <laughs> right? Or worse things. The discomfort of sinful words to you. The discomfort of sinful words about you. The discomfort of misunderstandings about you. And so the discomfort of having to embrace 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7, especially verses 5, 6, and 7. That is your, that is your chief tool, your chief weapon to take up in the battle of learning to stand in there and not just retreat like a Lone Ranger pioneer Christian. And there is no Lone Ranger Christianity, the body of Christ. We don't just eject when people rub me the wrong way. That's not what you get to do in the body of Christ, gentlemen. Newsflash, right? I don't get to do that either. Though I want to sometimes. You know, I'm going to go build a cabinet out in Shell, Wyoming, and sometimes and just say, see ya. <laughs> and my job is to hunt. That's it. Now, we don't get to do that because it's the body of Christ and it's sacred and precious. And we learn to do 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. Love is not provoked. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all, all things. Love never fails. And out of God's love for us, out of our love for him, and out of the commanded love we're to exercise towards one another, we continue to embrace discomfort. More could be said. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that is helpful. And I, I need so much help to grow in this. I trust we all might in various areas. And uh, as Derek wisely pointed out, Father, help us to keep that eternal perspective. Uh, that it's worth it. Uh, you're worth it. Your kingdom is worth it. Eternal rewards. And the love you've shown us compels us and needs to motivate us to embrace discomfort. Help us, help us to do so. Father, we could all name uh, one or two areas where, you know what, I need to embrace discomfort in this area. Help us do so. Um, help us do so. For me, Father, it's growing as a husband in my home. It's being a better shepherd in my home. Help me to do that, Father. Give these men great strength and joy and success in all they do today until we gather for worship on Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, gentlemen. Have a good one.